You're listening to Resident Advisors Exchange. I'm Martha. Thank you for being with us. This week, I have a conversation with DJ Earl to share with you. I would say that as far as the landscape of being creative and always just pushing the envelope, Chicago did that for me because it's a really high energy creative place and it's just culturally rich. Earl is an integral part of the Tech Life family and has been pushing footwork into new spheres since 2005. This year, Earl is ready to share his second album with the world. Nine tracks, fizzing with energy, titled Bass, Funk and Soul. We spoke about the vibrancy of Chicago's music community, of lessons in life and business from DJ Rashad, and the complex relationship between artists and streaming services. Earl is so charismatic, such a fantastic storyteller. His anecdotes are absolutely bursting with life. So I hope that you have a wonderful time listening to The Exchange with DJ Earl. How are you doing this morning? I'm good, thank you. I'm excited to speak with you. Um, Tell me about where you are right now. Well, I'm in Chicago, Illinois, um, in the States, um, at home um, where I grew up, uh, in the basement where I literally started my musical journey. That is very special. It all began in that room. Um, How is Chicago for you right now? It's quite a prominent moment in American history. It it is. It's quite the uh, polarizing uh, situation to be in. economically and socially so yeah it's been interesting chicago's been really chill uh more and more people as time passed honestly are being outside but i'm just mostly staying indoors and working and just you know coming out when i need to only essential trips only so uh i don't know chicago seems to be everybody's trying to build their business because you know the pandemic has a lot of people struggling financially so it's a lot of like business going on and a lot of people you know just trying to figure out different ways of uh streams of revenue and honestly it's just been really like uh communicative uh, if that's a good way to describe it mm, that's quite positive um so you are in the basement where you began making music and um, before we get into hearing about your career and your journey so far would you be able to take me all the way back and share with us your earliest memory connected to sound or music my earliest memory connected to sound and music would be just hearing my mom and dad play records in the house um maybe my earliest memory i have is my mom playing one song she used to play a lot uh one of her favorite songs is barry white practice what you preach and just like the the keyboard like like the bass lines and the the strings and the the deep voice the deep register like my father has a deep voice so like i heard like uh my mom used to also play like a lot of different women so to just hear like a a grown man with a deep register sing like that was like my earliest memory of of music of wanting to be interested in it and then i would really love to hear about uh, the creation crew era um tell me about putting on parties on the skate rink um well we didn't exactly put on parties at the skating rink maybe here and there in collaboration with the skating rink but uh, a lot of different skating rinks in the the chicago suburbs in the city and like the north suburbs as well it was different skating rinks throughout time where they hosted uh like uh like skate like on the weekend you know when kids were out of school on like on saturdays and stuff like that uh, they would throw really big um, skating and juke parties where it would be like, you know, they would play like, um, I don't know, like a lot of funk and skating music and all different kind of records that people would skate to. And then eventually when it got to be like, I guess like maybe nine uh, uh, or late, they would play uh, a lot of juke music and a lot of there would be a big juke party going on. So a lot of dancing and a lot of footworking and yeah, just a lot of people just getting wild just you know just a bunch of kids just getting together skating having fun all day and then into the night just it turned into a juke party a lot of big speakers uh, you know standing by the speaker um 
Yeah, that that whole era was uh, amazing. It was so much to do, you know. Um, so many people were involved, and the the amount of people in the city that was fully involved in the juke culture in general was just really heavy. Because honestly, like juke and footwork is really uh, a culture that is really rooted in the youth. So that's really where most of the the core energy comes from. It. So the creation era was an, an era for myself where I first started to take. Uh, dancing serious. Um, as I got into high school, I met uh, a friend of mine. His name is Brandon Love, also known as Basic. He's a part of the Creation Crew, and pretty much we, I just befriended him just at school in high school, and you know we got cool. We hung out a few times, and I found out that uh, you know he footworked because you know we'd be at school and we would footwork in the lunchroom, and he taught me how to hit some moves and stuff, and I just liked the music. And um, I liked the energy of it. It was fast-paced. It had a lot of bass to it. I don't know. I was just into it. You know, it was like a, a, a regional thing in Chicago to just be into juke and footwork music, especially in the summertime. So um, I met him, and then I eventually got the courage to want to try out for creation. I tried out. I didn't really get in at first. I kind of was hanging out and just kind of documenting a lot of things just as Brandon's friend. And then eventually they was like, yo, you need to take this a little more serious and start dancing. So I started dancing. This was maybe like, well, like 2005. And then I kind of hung around and was in creation for a couple years. And maybe like till 2007, 2008. And um, that's when I kind of, uh, by then, oh, my friend, my same friend, Basic from Creation, he also introduced me to FL Studio because I did music when I was in, um, I was in grammar school, so coming to high school, I did, like, traditional music, like, you know, playing with, like, orchestras, and I played jazz band. I mostly played, like, percussion instruments and the drum, you know, the drum set and stuff like that, blah, blah, blah. And um, so, yeah, I kind of had, like, a full musical palette ready to do something with it, and I didn't really get into band at the school that I went to. So, you know, he's like, yo, I'm making beats. Like, I, I make, like, beats and juke tracks. And he was like, yo, like, you should try it out. And I tried it out and I fell in love with it immediately. I felt like I was like my own band, you know, inside of my computer. So I was like, all right, this tight. I can just be my own band. And um, yeah, that, that was a really fun time. A lot of juke parties, a lot of, uh, a lot of tedious uh, work when it comes down to the dancing. Creation has a really uh, a heavy training um uh, I don't know what to call it, like a template, you know, how they train their dancers that's a part of their crew, uh, which is now called Creation Global. Uh, Shouts out to King Charles and Basic and everybody over there. But, yeah, yeah, it was a really fun era. Uh, my earliest times in the footwork world, as we call it. So, yeah. Tell me a bit more about using Fruity Loops and the kind of early sounds that you was experimenting with and did you kind of discover any techniques or approaches that you still use or are they kind of like a bit cringy now looking back um i mean when i first started i didn't have like the mindset of a producer so i just came into it with the knowledge that brandon passed on to me so he was like yo like i don't really know where to get drums for from so i just used the fl studio built-in drum kit so yeah when i started out i was using like the built-in fl studio kit and um Eventually, I learned how to sample, so I just found some of my favorite records that I was listening to that had drums, and I kind of just recorded it, just sampled drums out of different songs that I was listening to. Yeah, it was it was pretty cringy. I'm not gonna lie, the FL Studio kit's kind of flat. <laughs> um, did you kind of develop any like producer habits or things that you like still use now? Um. Yeah, uh, sampling, most definitely. And um, as far as like producer habits, I didn't really form any producer habits until like a couple years in when I started to use like Reason. Um, a friend recommended it to me eventually when I started to make make music in FL Studio. I met other people who was doing it. So, but yeah, I, I didn't really pick up. I don't. I think my process is totally different from how I started. I used to always just sit and just play synths for like a really long time and then I would like record those synths and then I would like sample those melodies and then make a beat on top of that I told like my process is totally the reverse now mm, interesting 
Before we carry on talking about the ins and outs of how you make music, um, we touched a little bit on Chicago itself. Um, how would you say it's influenced your sound and your outlook on music? Well, Chicago is a really culturally rich pr- place, so I've always just been able to be around people who had a creative outlook on life um, and just, I don't know, it's a, it's a high-energy place, so honestly, I've my outlook on music has always been explore, explore, like don't don't put yourself in the box. Never feel like, you know, you know, never stop learning anything and also like on a I don't know, I don't know how to <laughs> what words to put this in, but you know, not to play into any stereotypes about Chicago, but it it also is unfortunately in a lot of ways a, a dangerous place too, so a lot of the experiences that I had in my adolescence and also in my adulthood played a big role into what what records I was listening to, you know, kind of like the soundtrack, the the music I was using to distract myself from like the street stuff and stuff that was going on, you know, you, you know, stuff you go through in like a big city in Chicago, like Chicago or like L.A. or New York, you know, you kind of you deal with a lot of random acts of violence and, you know, a lot of kids from broken homes and stuff like that. So they kind of come to school with an attitude because, you know, home life isn't the way they really need it to be. Everybody doesn't have both parents, that kind of stuff. So I would say that as far as the landscape of being creative and always just pushing the envelope, Chicago did that for me because it's a really high energy creative place and it's just culturally rich. As far as like the direction I went, uh, like morally or the the type of records that I started to sample were pretty much based off of the experience I had learning about different music you know, music became like a, a gateway to not deal with all of this st- that kind of stuff in the streets. So, yeah, I, I could say the violence and the good experiences, all of it cultivated the the mindset that I have with music today. It most definitely was mm-hmm. influential. And when I travel, I, I really got wind of that because, you know, when you're traveling, all you really want to do is listen to music. You know, you always listen to music in your headphones. And after a while... You know, when you spend so much time getting on and off planes, you know, you kind of make playlists. Like, you you kind of need music to just keep you motivated to keep going, to keep going, to keep going. So I started to get aware that it was a pattern in the type of music that I was listening to. And I'm like, wow. a lot. Of, I was listening to a lot of violent records. I was listening to a lot of soulful records, like a lot of funk and a lot of music that kind of is bred out of Chicago and, like, a lot of different rappers and people who influenced me like Kanye West and like Common and or or Chief Keef in the present day. So that's what I mean. Like it's like a just a cultural like melting pot of like so many different influences. And as you were traveling, I guess for DJing and, and making more music and stuff, did you get a kind of perception of a difference between how your music was received locally compared to globally? Locally, my music is like hometown music, you know, it's that bass, juke, booty, party music, Lo- like like locally, like in Chicago, in my neighborhood. And um, I mean, now that sh- in Chicago has got to get outside of Chicago and take the, the Chicago juke and footwork m- movement globally, a lot of the people look at juke and footwork as like an evolved thing, like, oh, it's grown past it just being like booty based music now it's like a cultural thing that you know it's about the music and the dance and that you know this music really saves lives and keeps you know it's something positive for the kids to do and it's a outlet for them to express themselves so yeah um wait 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 what was the what was the question i'm sorry <laughs> i got a little a little off track no, that was super interesting, but I just wanted to hear. So that's kind of an observation on what your music means locally. But as you've been traveling and doing shows in other countries and other places, um, did you sense that there's a difference between how your music is received at home? There is a difference between how it's perceived locally and how it's perceived outside of Chicago. Outside of Chicago, it's like perceived as like uh, like house music or like electronic music. It's 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 more of a like a, a broader view. Like it's 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 looked at as traditional music. Like you listen to like pop or hip hop and everything else is kind of all in the same category. But in Chicago, like juke music is like tracks or like you know or like you know booty music or whatever. 
it's not kind of real music to a lot of people. You know what I mean? It's all music. We're all making, you know, organized sound and stuff. But at the end of the day, locally, it's just perceived as like kind of like something that's just for Chicago versus outside of it. It's, it's looked as like a culture and like a, you know, an influence thing from like a progression from house music up to juke and footwork to now. And how is it for you as an artist in that community to kind of zoom out and be like, oh, like people take this in in a different way outside of Chicago? Yeah, honestly, like I said, like, you know, growing up in Chicago, we did it just to have fun. It was just like a thing. It was like juke music, like, oh, like that's just some Chicago energy kind of thing. So after making music and like becoming a part of a crew and, you know, pretty much making solely juke and footwork tracks after a while like i started to be like wow like this kind of feels like you know like a, a artist kind of thing especially when we started to get like write-ups and magazines and features and stuff like it was it was you know like you said it was a, it was like wow okay like we never thought that this could be something that we could uh live off of or sh- share with the world you know necessarily it was just something that our city did so yeah it's 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 an amazing feeling to to be able to like look at this as like as as art you know so yeah it's an Mm -hmm. amazing feeling i just wanted to hear a bit more about when you go somewhere else to dj and you're bringing your sound from your community um what are you trying to like communicate to a a really random crowd in like another country Hmm. As a DJ first, I, I, I usually try to read the room and, you know, um, see where everybody's energy at. But most of the time with footwork, I try to start off, like, pretty, like, general. Like, a lot of rhythms that they're used to hearing, like, you know, like, four-to-the-floor type beats. And then, you know, I work into the more, like, heavier rhythms where, like, it's a lot of snares and the rhythms or, like, the triplet hi-hats and stuff like that where like it's a whole lot of percussion and so much going on and the rhythms are more advanced and um yeah um i think the general perception of it is is just like this crazy music you know uh you know from chicago and i mean I, i that's pretty much how the random person who comes up to me is like, yo, I don't know what that was, but it was crazy. Like, the music's so fast. It, it sounds, a lot of people tell me it sounds like fast house music. So, you know, uh, in house music, they did a lot of sampling the same way we do in Juke and Footwork. So, you know, a lot of anthem, uh, chant type tracks. So, yeah, it's kind of received this just really fast kind of house music. How did you come to fall in with the Tech Life family? And how did being part of that change things for you? Well, um, I came into working with the Tech Life family. Originally, it was Ghetto Technicians. Ghetto Technicians was founded by DJ Spin and DJ Rashad. Um, and um, I met them locally at a spot actually down the street from where I am now called Battlegrounds. It was like a local spot owned by um, uh, a guy who, who owned uh, this, this group, dance group called Final Phase, and he had a dance studio. And he pretty much just hosted a lot of... After a while, you know... As I hear from my, from my, you know, the people who was doing this before me, there was no spot just to go and footwork. You had to go to juke parties, and eventually there became a time where they cut the footwork tracks on and people would battle and, you know, and dance or whatever and have the circles, the thing that eventually turned into a whole thing where people show up just to different battle clips get together just to battle all night. That's, that was like a kind of a thing that came came to fruition during my generation. So I met them down the street at 87 East End at uh, Final Fans Dance Studio. And they were DJing, this was like in 2008. Um, I was going up there uh, with, uh, you know, my friends from Creation and different people I met in the culture. And um, eventually, uh, Spinner Rashad came to DJ there. I'm not sure what brought them there, but I eventually got to hear them DJ. And it, I noticed that their music and, the, and their style of mixing was vastly different from everybody else I had heard. So I was I was just listening, and the, the day that I heard them, I just sat down. I didn't dance that day. I just sat down and was just listening to this music like, wow, this is like jazz, like funk, soul. They're sampling like rap, like pop, like uh, they're sampling everything. I'm like, how are they doing this? Like, 
how do how does their bass sound like that? Like why why does it sound like why does the bass distorted but it sounds clean at the same time? Like how do they achieve that kind of mix? Like I just was wondering so many things, so I was just like kind of overwhelmed. And I just listened to their music, and I just kept coming up there. They did Battlegrounds every Sunday at this point, so I just kept coming up there every Sunday, and I started to eventually DJ. And then one day Rashad came up to me like, "Yo." What's your name? I'm like, oh, my name Earl. He's like, oh, well, I'm Rashad. I was like, yeah, I know. You, you know? <laughs> DJ Rashad. Uh, yeah, man. And he came up to me and was like, yo, I like your tracks. He was like, how long you been DJing? I was like, honestly, I just learned. And I'm, you know, I'm still working on it. He was like, well, yo, keep doing your thing, you know? He just came and brought me some good energy and told me he liked my tracks. So I was like, wow. All right. So from that moment, I kind of was like, all right. Rashad came up to me and said something. And the fact that the people that I came into just randomly listened to their music at Battlegrounds, and then I got to getting deeper into my production process and eventually learning how to sample, I started to ask these questions from different people. Um, Rashad caught wind of it, like, yo, who's this kid making, like, you know, these tracks? Kind of sounded like us, you know? So the influence came through immediately, so he kind of just reached out and... After a while, they just started coming regularly, and he eventually asked, like, yo, you want to spin? Like, I'm like, oh. I didn't know how to use CDJs at the time. Uh, I learned how to mix off, like, a, a Newmark CD mix, too. I think that's what it's called. But, yeah, I just tried it out, and I barely got through it. But, yo, like, after a couple more times, like, Rashada's spin was pretty open arms. And then one day, um, I just got the, the, the confidence to ask Rashad after coming back for so many weeks, like, yo, What's up with being in, in ghetto technicians? He was like, you want to be in the squad? It, it kind of threw him off. Like, he's like, this young dude want to hang out with us and, like, make beats? Like, all right, cool. Yeah, let me go ask Spin and see how he feel about it. Because, you know, it was kind of like a thing that they did with their friends. You know, it was like they had started their own crew, you know, from seeing, like, you know, the people who were doing it before them, like the DJ Dion's, the Sluggos, the RP Boos, and people like that, you know, the people who they were influenced by, their heroes, and like Paul Johnson and people like that. So they were just like, yeah, sure. Spin, say, hey, man, Spin, say, come get his number and come by his crib after, uh, you know, tomorrow or whatever, after school. And I went over there and I brought all my tracks and I sat with them and had a little meeting and talked with them and I played on my tracks and they was like, all right, you could be in the crew. We're going to put you on probation, but you could be in the crew. And honestly, the the influence that Ghetto Technicians, which is known as Tech Life now, the influence it had, it, it pretty much became my whole footwork identity. And just the influence of Rashad and Spin and just the the studio sessions and just the intricate process of like how they make their music in general, how they get together and just kind of become this large think tank. And that's kind of what Tech Life kind of turned into. Pretty much we would all just get together and just, you know, get whatever we need for the studio and just and just sit and talk about, like, all right, we made, we've been making these kind of tracks and we've been seeing these kind of responses from the dancers. Like, how can we switch it up again? Like, how can we keep it going? Like, we've been sampling these artists. Like, like man, Earl, Manny, like, what's the new hot stuff? What, what should we sample? Like, they really was on that really refining their, their 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 process constantly constantly changing and transforming so yeah it was a very heavy influence on my on my music and DJing everything they pretty much mentored myself Manny Tay and a couple other people in the tech like crew early on and yeah it's 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 been the whole influence as far as like where I took my productions from where I started up to this day it's still I mean I literally have it Tatted on my arm, tech life. So, oh wow, it'll, it'll, it'll forever be with me. And I've seen you described as the apprentice of DJ Richard online. Um, what does that title mean to you? Well, Richard was a teacher, but he taught many people. I was not the apprentice, I probably was one of. If anybody was really like Richard's real understudy, it probably was Manny. Manny and Richard, they just they just clicked. I mean, also Manny and Spin, too, but Manny was like, I don't know uh, if there's going to be any, you know, anybody put into, like, a, a special bracket. It was Manny, honestly. Manny really was, like, the golden child of tech life. Like, the 
out of the young generation, all of, all of us, like Rashad was like the leader of his his friend group, like Manny kind of was the leader of, of, of all of us. What were some of the key takeaways that you brought from your time spent in their company? Like what are the key things that you really learned in terms of working in music? In terms of working in music, well, originally there there we didn't have any principles about like what to do in music or music industry because we didn't come into it with that intent. We just did it for the love of just kind of, you know, for the, the culture of the city and just, you know, that's what, what, you know, every city has its thing, you know, and footwork is, Chicago footwork is a thing that's here for us to all enjoy and participate and socialize with each other. So, man, um, I don't know. I don't know what words to put this in. Uh, well, as we got into music business, their thing was was to come to them and to make sure that everything was legitimate, and to to they taught us a lot of things about ownership, and they taught us a lot of things about the process of recording music, and they taught us about quality. They taught us about like you know just always sharpening our producer skills and never feeling like oh I got it I'm I'm this big thing. They always taught us to be humble when it came to the process of steadily making music and progressing over time. So they taught us mostly like be humble, always keep your ear open. Um, as far as the business side, at the time we were pretty young, so they pretty much asked to just for them to just keep them you know. And, you know, keep, give some give them some insight on what we're doing as far as business so, you know, we don't get it taken advantage of because, you know, that kind of thing can, can happen. And some things transpire over the years that could have been avoided, you know, as young people, you know, we, we get excited and opportunity comes, we jump on it. So they just, they just told us to not be so thirsty, as we call it here in Chicago, to jump on the opportunity and to just keep our eyes open, watch our surroundings and just keeping good people with good energy and, people who carry out good actions around us and to just keep kind of checked in with them on, you know, as we progress, because at the end of the day, like they really appreciated, you know, us being, you know, working with them and being a part of the process and being a part of ghetto technicians that transitioned to tech life. They just wanted to reassure that the point of this was to push us to the highest point and that they don't never really wanted to keep us Forever, they just wanted to make sure that we came into it with some understanding and some some real groundwork, so we don't be out here blind, you know, just doing anything. And honestly, that those all of those principles still stand to this day when it comes down to the process and doing business. All of those things still resonate, and I I, I carry those mentality. Um, yeah, and also they carried another mentality, you know. They were very competitive, high-energy dudes, and they just they just pushed the envelopes to say, you know, always push the envelope and just keep making music and just just don't stop and just uh, apply that pressure, you know, just stand your ground and don't be afraid to creatively express yourself in whatever way you feel is is necessary. Just make sure it feels authentic to who you are and you know where you come from and what you and what you're doing where you headed make sure you got a clear vision with that Mm, that's such valuable advice stuff that can really set you up for your whole career yeah and honestly them both just eventually becoming fathers and I mean they were in their in their young 20s hanging out with teenagers you know so they were learning a lot of the lessons that they instilled in us kind of lively as they were teaching it to us so sometimes they would learn a lesson in business or in life or in their process with like buying equipment or you know just like have like less is more and buy equipment one piece at a time so you can really you know just they they just instilled a lot of things in us to make sure that we didn't overdo it or overwhelm ourselves. And um, did Rashad come into your mind at all when you were making this new record? Like, what do you reckon he'd say about your album? Rashad is always with us, uh, with me, with with everybody. His spirit, his energy. Um, he just he he just was a trailblazer. So yes, it definitely is in almost everything I do, just by default because 
he whatever you did Rashad just if he got around you and saw your process he could just, he could just dissect the the best part of what you had going for you so he always will be like you know what you got this going for you you need to just make sure that you don't let other people and what's going on like you know as as an artist we can sometimes get insecure or or feel tested by other music that comes out or other art so he just said like yo don't be afraid to be you so yeah i'm not afraid to be me and i'm i'm glad that as an artist i got to learn and understand that early on like not to be afraid to make the music that i make because honestly a lot of the music that we make it's it's not always easy on the ears you know it's it's pretty intense music to to just what if you're just a chill person who like listens to like you know jazz and smooth records and then you like throwing like double cup and you're like whoa what's this you know so the music isn't always real received as far as like the energy in it love to dive into talking about samples because I know samples are important to you. Um, what is the most obscure sample you've ever pulled? Mm, like a weird, weird sample? Um, you know, not that this, this person's music is super obscure or anything, but um, I, sent, uh, I sampled... Um, Daniel Lopatin's uh, Ezra track, and um, yeah, man, his music is is it's it's different, and um, I would say that's probably the most obscure thing I've sampled because I sample a lot of mostly like soulful and jazzy, and like a lot of stuff for like a lot of funky bass lines and stuff. Just I kind of grew that's kind of the music that was played around me as I grew up. So I'm not gonna say I just stick to just that, but yeah, um, one of Trix Point Never is probably the most obscure thing I've sampled. What do you look for in a sample? Like, what is it that speaks to you? Um, sometimes the arrangement. I, I love a good arrangement, like a, a good build-up to a track, a track that, like, you know, kind of starts off, like, kind of... Well, you don't get all the elements as soon as the, the, the song starts. I like a lot of build-up, a lot of, like... I like a lot of strings, a lot of guitar... A lot of, I don't know, like a lot of soulful type stuff. So if it has like that soulful, like uh, James Brown or like, uh, or even like a Roy Ayers kind of, Roy Ayers is like one of my faves. So most definitely if it has like a vibe like that or any of those chords, honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm a sucker for minor chords as well. So yeah, those, if it has kind of any of those elements, I, I may jump on it like really quickly. And how do you work? Like, are you constantly adding to like a bank of things that you're going to use? Or will you just be like going about your normal life and you hear something, you're like, right, stop everything. I'm going to the basement. I'm going to sample this. Well, nowadays, uh, I kind of have things a little more like I'm doing like a couple projects at a time. Like I'm, pro I'm producing about like four different artists. Three of them are hip hop and one of them is R&B. And, um, and one is like spoken word. So actually six artists, yeah. So I'm doing stuff like that. So I'm making like, like boom bap. I'm making like hip hop. I'm making like trap. I'm making like R&B. And then I'm making juke and footwork tracks. And also like, um, I like just making just like crazy, like synth heavy, like ambient scores and textures and stuff. Cause I, I got into doing that kind of stuff, just messing around in my early... Oh, actually, earlier you asked me this question that, that one of the things in my process uh, crossover. So to, to answer that question, um, yeah. So because I used to just play synths all the time and just try to like kind of be my own band and play a lot of strings and synths, and it, it, I think that's what kind of got me into making ambient music and just making soundscapes and stuff, so yeah. Mm. Are there any other artists from like across the world of music um, that you admire the sampling technique of? 
Uh, a lot of people, um, honestly. Uh, I have some obvious favorites like Mad Lib and like uh, uh, The Alchemist and um, like MF Doom. And then I have people like Conductor Williams and um, people in the, even like people who's like making the kind of music and like bass music stuff too, like uh, like Baby Mother and like um, Bulletproof Dolphin, which is like Danny Brown's kind of little, uh, his, his homies, his crew, uh, his production crew out in Detroit. Uh, as far as sampling, who else on the sample side? Um, who else? I mean, obviously Rashad, you know, his his sampling technique, you know, Dilla, you know, and um, I don't know, man. Those are the greats. Those are some of the mm -hmm. greatest. Uh, oh, Knife Wonder is one of my favorites, too. I, I listened to a lot of Knife Wonder for uh, a couple years back. I was just kind of following everything he was doing for a couple years. And, yeah, he's, he's another one. Um, sampling side. Oh. Not that he does sampling a lot, but Dame Funk. Dame Funk is tight. He's like, he's just a really soulful, crazy individual and, and musician. His his techniques and, and music is just, it, it, it resonates really hard with me as far as like all my influences and the type of music that he, he's always playing like rare grooves and stuff on his Instagram and stuff too. So I try to go uh, check that out and keep myself, uh, keep my ear open and always listen to the good music. Mm, 100%. What can you tell me about the samples in your new record? Um, I kind of don't want to tell nobody Aww. about the samples in my record. But what I can I can give you some clues. So um, I went to go play a festival in Brazil. And that trip, I actually stayed there a week because they asked me. Um, they brought me out a couple of times. So I, I got really close with, with the promoter who brought me out. And um, we were just hanging out. He was just playing me a bunch of like... Brazil, like Brazilian funk music. And I was like, yo, what is this? This music is amazing. It sound like it, it sounded like a like Aretha Franklin and the Barry White, but just like Brazilian, you know? It sounded like all the music I grew up listening to, a lot of the like Detroit and like Philadelphia soul music and Chicago music. And it was just, it was right on my alley, you know? And it was just soulful and jazz, jazzy and, and 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 funky, and I just was like, "Yo, like you gotta hook me up with some records, or we gotta like go record shopping." So I went record shopping while I was out there, and um, he like gave me like this huge folder, like this huge folder. Like I don't even want to tell you how many gigs of samples he gave me, but I just. I spent like a week at the time I was living in uh, Miami Beach and after I came back home from that tour from doing South America, I just, I had like a week of just listening to nothing but that, just smoking weed and just listening to Brazilian funk and it resonated so hard, like so hard and it, it just stuck with me and then some of the samples ended up going into a lot of the hip hop stuff that I was working on with a couple of the artists that I'm working with now and then um up to this point, I just, I was working on so so many different side projects, and before I made like this album, I was like, yo, what do I even want my my next footwork record to sound like? And I'm like, oh no, man, I just want to keep it simple, bass plus funk and soul. And I was like, oh wait, I like that. And then I ended up actually reaching out to um, Dope and being like, yo. I know you, you know, is that is that offer to still do a record on the table? Cause I, I'm like, yo, I need this on vinyl, you know, cause like I, I just want that that sound. So I reached out and he was like, yo, like I'm definitely down. Like send some tracks, and I ended up sending um, the first track I sent to him was Ba. I'm not sure if you heard it yet, but it's it's mm -hmm. out now. But it was like the first sample I listened to that sample like a hundred times back to back, back to back, back to back. And I don't know why, but it's just a ba 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 ba. It just stuck with me. It just it just felt like the perfect loop, and I just looped it, and you know I chopped my favorite parts of the sample. But yeah, like that's pretty much where it came from. My trip to Brazil was like a the major influence on this record. Mm, would you say that's the thing that kind of binds these tracks together into one project? Yeah, most definitely. Um, 
Yeah, I, I pretty much just came in it with a mindset of like, yo, I'm just gonna like play like only soulful and funky shit, like all my favorite chords, and like I'm I'm like I'm I'm gonna make the footwork record that I've been trying to make since I started. So I feel like this is the record I really. I feel like up to this point before I made this record, I was just was experimenting and kind of just trying out different sounds and because I have so many different EPs and albums that I put out over the years. But this one was like, it's the footwork record I've been trying to make since I started. So, yeah. Mm, I think that's a really nice way to approach making a second album because I think a lot of artists can get a bit stressed about second album pressure, got to follow up. But it sounds like it was kind of the reverse for you. Yeah, um, again, one of those things Rashad just instilled in myself and the other people in the group, he just, he said like, man, you know, it's, excuse my language, man, fuck all the details, all the, the, the things that transpire, like life gonna happen, things are gonna happen to you, good and bad, but just trust the process. Trust the process was just one of the things that he just really instilled, so I don't even... I don't I don't have I don't have no type of worries, you know, as far as like, what am I going to do for the next album? I don't, honestly. And I would be kind of foolish to to act like I'm lacking any amount of inspiration around me in my city or what I was introduced early on and all the music that I listen to. I listen to a lot of music and I have a lot of influences and then being in band and playing jazz music and orchestra music and like. Uh, playing, even being in marching band, all of these influences, the way they came together, honestly, like, nah, it wasn't really a problem working on this record. If anything, this is probably the most record I came into with a very clear intention of exactly what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And we want to know what you was using to make the record. So are you still Ableton gang? Moved on from Fruity Loops. Ah, so I, yeah, I moved on um, like 2010 when I met DJ Tay because he tried out for literally the day that Rashad and Spin went uh, on tour for the Planet Mu- the, the first tour where like a lot of us made it overseas. Rashad and Spin and a couple other people at the time. The day that they was headed overseas, uh, they had tryout for ghetto, ghetto technicians at the time. And Tay was one of the people who, who made the cut. And um, a few days later, I ended up uh, hanging out with him because Rashad Spin was like, yo, like, I know we just kind of had a tryout and now we gone for like two months, but we kind of need you and Manny to hold things down and just hang out with Tay and, you know, you know, Big Brom and make sure he good. And just, you know, hang out with him and make some music and see, you know, see what he about. And once I hung out with him, I was listening to your music like, yo, what do you use? You can't be using FL Studio for everything you're doing. And he's like, no, nah, I use this thing called Ableton. And I'm like, yo, what's up with Ableton? And then um, he, sh- we just he came over and we hung out and he showed me how to use it and I was hooked. I was like, nah, I like this, I like this a lot. And is that what you use for this? Yeah, record? I've been Ableton gang since 2010, so I've been, yeah, I've been uh, a decade in the Ableton gang. Mm-hmm. And was there any hardware thrown into the mix this time around? Um, not really. Uh, a few synthesizers like across the record. Um. I have a, a one the main synth I use on this thing. Hold on, let me see what it's called. The Arturia Micro Freak, that, mm-hmm. and um, uh, some some Juno here and there, and um, a couple like a couple time a couple tracks. I like did some effects processing with like some pedals and stuff like that, and yeah. But mostly it's just me, Ableton, uh, Ableton push. And um, my Arturia uh, uh, synthesizer. So people will take in this album via streaming services. I saw that you um, shared something on your social media, kind of posing a few questions about Spotify and other platforms to your community. Were there any responses to that post that like sparked something interesting for you? You know. All the artists that commented, like uh, Slow Magic and Machine Drum, and um, just a, a couple of different artists who I wasn't expecting to comment and say anything, you know, I think we all can agree that we're in a very complicated relationship with the, with the, with these streaming companies because 
the the system that they that they created um, for us to to get paid for hosting our music on the streaming for our music to be streamed, you know, that is a really complicated uh, argument about what a fair share is. And at the end of the day, even the artists who are streamed the most on these platforms, I feel like I just feel like. I feel like as artists, we're being overutilized and underpaid in so many words. Like we have all these options to make all to you know like one of the speak one of the features I like about Spotify is Spotify Canvas, right? So Spotify Canvas is a dope thing that exists, and you get to add like a video behind your track, and people can look at that while they're like streaming your track. And but it takes you know to make content, it it takes money, and if you're making a minimum amount of money. And, you know, and Spotify and I, I watch and I, I do my research and I watch these conferences and their answer to making more money on Spotify and these other streaming services is put out more music. It's like, what? They're like, yo, like, you guys want to make more money, like, just make more music. And it's like, yo, like, nah. I, I'm not really into the idea of work even harder for for what I feel like is an unfair pay with, uh, uh, pay for, you know, us hosting our music on these sites. They make a, an enormous amount of money. I'm pretty sh- sure Spotify CEO is sitting in life very cushiony right now. And at the end of the day, I think that on these platforms, I feel like, I feel like the artist is not what the priority is. I feel like profit gain and keeping these companies alive is what they're clear focus is um so was there any conversation around your post or you know other conversations you've had with artist friends of like anything that you'd want to see from the platforms to you know head in a direction where they are supporting artists better i've seen a few things um i've seen a few friends you know as i can on social media i've caught up with a couple friends who were working with Spotify directly to talk about, you know, what makes more sense for artists and how they can just how we can create the relationship between the artists and these companies to be in a better position and start the conversation to figure out, like, we just need to understand the systems and the mechanics about how they're even coming up with the algorithms to pay us in the first place. And just educating the artists, just making the, the information available and... I'm just not with the, again, as I said, I'm just not with the whole idea of working more to, to make more money. It doesn't make sense to me. And I feel like other platforms like like Bandcamp have the artists in mind. You know, they're thinking about the artists' wages, artists. It takes, it takes money to create this art at the end of the day. You know, we, whatever you're using to make your music, you have to pay to keep it on. You know, you got to run electricity for equipment, blah, 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 everything costs. And if you're making a minimum amount of costs, it's like you, you get what I'm saying. As far as music business goes, the people trying to live off of their art. So everyone who's excited to go and take in Earl's record should go and do it after this on Bandcamp rather than anything. <laughs> Look, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to say this. I don't want to limit the amount of visibility with this record because I want to share this record with everybody. So I actually, before we even put this record out and finalized everything, we had a conversation about this directly, me and Dopey, and he was saying he had some some ideas, you know, and some some similar feelings and the, the feeling of feeling conflicted of wanting to put all his stuff on, you know, his label stuff on these streaming websites or just do Bandcamp. But, you know, you honestly do limit your visibility. And at the end of the day, that is what we need as artists in order to provide these funds to keep the process going and take care of ourselves. So, yeah. um, Yeah. It is a bit of a sticky situation right now. It's it's a very sticky situation. And I'm I'm even, myself, even right now, just trying to find the right words to say because... You know, this can be a triggering conversation in general because a lot of people who who are working to advocate your your original question, like, have I seen any posts that, 
you know, or people that interact with my posts, you know, reach out to these streaming companies. Not really. You know, everybody's caught up in, you know, COVID right now. And I've seen a few people start some initiatives uh, to ask these streaming, you know, services to to offer us more insight on how we can go about starting this process. But not really. I'm not really seeing results. I'm just seeing a lot of people post about feeling conflicted and I just made that post that day because it just it just hit me when I watched um, a video that the Spotify uh, CEO I'm not sure the guy's name uh, he put up pretty much essentially telling us that like yo we'll help more artists get more visibility if we can uh, either some basically essentially Taking on like marketing plans and and getting playlisted for le- even less money than we already are already making off of these platforms, which is just a conflict of interest to begin with. So I don't know. Yeah, uh, it's, it's 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 a major con- conflicted feeling with the this, with the streaming services right now. For sure, and we're just very much at the start of that conversation. Yeah, and and all honestly, that's why I haven't spoken too much on the topic because I still have to do my my work and do my research and really talk with other artists and try to create a conversation so I can further educate myself. What I do know is that the general perception from celebrity down to the underground artists is that everyone feels conflicted about putting their music on streaming websites. So back to your new album, and I have one last question for you today, and it is, if a track from this record could soundtrack any movie or visual, what would be happening in the scene where your song plays? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like Ba is the one for me. Uh, if I could get Ba on like any, like action movie or like a scene where like things are like really intense where like there's some sort of like police chase or something or like like or boss like playing while like there's like a beach scene and everybody i just i don't know i just want like a high energy scene in some movie maybe like a a baywatch or like a uh what's the will smith and um and martin lawrence movie bad boys i don't know maybe bad boys i'm going for bad put by and bad boys yeah, we need that. I would love that. to see that. I would love to see Ba uh, in in some movies and and commercials and all kind of stuff. It just I don't know. I feel like it's like the soundtrack to my life. So I would love to see that in like a major production. That would be dope. Bye.